scripture reading, 1 Peter 3, 15 to 22. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. I've got to stop here for one second because this next line really spoke to me. I hope it does to you. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. The book of 1 Peter is uh, written to suffering Christians in northern Turkey, modern northern Turkey. And uh, Peter writes this book while he is in Rome and maybe suffering himself. Um, he dies sometime in the 60s. At least that's the church tradition under Nero. And uh, Peter must be written sometime in the 60s. And uh, so here he is writing this book uh, to Christians who are having a difficult time of it. And so it, it has a way of crystallizing those things that are important for Christians and uh, important for their lives. And uh, so this is, an, uh, this is part six of a series and uh, this is just an additional sermon uh, that I happen to tack on the end. And I told you last week that this is the most difficult passage in the Bible to interpret. How many of you looked it up this past week? <laughs> Two of you. <laughs> okay, four of you. <laughs> and uh, it's difficult, and uh, yet... Uh, hopefully by the end you will see that uh, there are rewarding things in this little difficult passage. If you go to the next slide there, Lynn. Yeah, verse 17, as he concludes suffering for Jesus, and he wants to make some concluding remarks, he says it's better to suffer for doing good if it's the will, if the will of God desires, then to suffer for doing evil. That's my translation. Uh, in your bulletin, you have uh, NIV 2011. It's better to suffer for doing good, if the will of God desires, than to suffer for doing evil. And point number one, we should be prepared for suffering. Okay, we will suffer. And uh, those who live a righteous life, I believe, will suffer. Uh, Jesus suffered when he lived a righteous life. And if you live a righteous life, you will suffer. 
the Psalms speak about suffering, and David speaks about suffering, and he applies it to his life. And David speaks about his suffering, and he suffers because he has a zeal for God's house. And so he says, the re- the, as I have zeal for your, your house, uh, I have reproaches. And they make fun of me, and they sing songs about me. It happened for David. And if you live a righteous life, it will happen for you. We should be, pre- pre- be prepared to suffer. Uh, notice... Number two, our suffering is God's will. God wants that. He desires it. Yikes. (laughs) Of course, God's in control. And uh, so when suffering comes upon you, you don't have to go, well, how could this ever happen? Or "What, what, what is God doing and what is he thinking? Uh, This is his plan, and this is his desire, and this is his will uh, to bring these difficulties into your life. Now, those are preliminary things. Let's go to the next verse. Because, reason, because Christ also suffered once for sins, a righteous one for unrighteous ones, in order that he might lead you to God, having died to sin, but made alive in the Spirit. One of those wonderful little verses about why Jesus dies on the cross. A beautiful summary of a gospel and what we need to know to be saved. And I've got a number of points I want you to see out of it. Uh, First of all, though, notice he says Christ suffered once for sin once for sins. Now I did write in my notes, for those of you who try to learn one new word every day, that word for one time there is a Greek word, hapax. And uh, when a word is found only one time in the New Testament, This is for those, when when I studied this in seminary, a word is found one time in the New Testament. We call it a hapax legomenon. (laughs) That's a word, hapax legomenon. Is that right, Sam? Hapax legomenon. I don't even know if you can find that in the dictionary. (laughs) It means it's found one time in the New Testament. Hapax, one legomenon spoken once. Uh, Hapax legomenon. Uh, One time. Happens one time, a hapax. Jesus suffered for sins one time. Now that's important. If you go to the next slide. So Jesus suffered for doing good. And I have four points for you. Number one, Jesus suffered for sins one time. So, my suffering... My suffering is not for my sins. My suffering doesn't pay for my sins. Some people think that. They think that my suffering helps pay for my sins. So a person who is suffering 
is more righteous in God's eyes because their suffering kind of pays for their sins. And Peter's going, no, 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 wait just a second. You don't understand the gospel. Jesus suffered once for sins. All sins. You can't pay for your sins by suffering. Now, you might deserve to suffer. (laughs) That's something different. You might deserve to have difficulties. And you might deserve to have uh, authorities coming after you. But that doesn't help with your sins. Jesus' suffering for sins was a one-time event. My suffering does not help me with God. Not with regard to my sins. Letter B, or point number two up there. Jesus... Oh, wait just a second. I've got to follow my notes properly. Jesus suffered for sins one time. My suffering's not for my sins. Also, Christians at first appeared to be the most irreligious of people in Peter's day. That's one of the reasons why they're being persecuted. Christians are the most unreligious people. Everybody else in society is sacrificing. Everybody. They go into the market square and there's a temple to Zeus or a temple to an Apollo or a temple to who knows who else and even a temple to Caesar. And there's all kinds of sacrifices going on. Christians never sacrificed. And so society would look at them and go, they're the worst people. You know, out of all the people there are, they're the most unreligious people because they don't get involved in these religious ceremonies. And it's because we believe Jesus was the sacrifice for sins one time. So we don't have any more sacrifice. This is also interesting because of who it's coming from. It's coming from Peter. Notice he says it's the will of God because Christ suffered for sins one time. Remember what Peter first said when Jesus said that he had to go to the cross? What did he say? God forbid. Jesus goes, who do men say that I am? Peter goes, you're the Christ, the Son of God. You're the Messiah. And Jesus goes, well, you're blessed for saying that. And then Jesus says, you know something, it's necessary for me to suffer and to be betrayed and to be handed over and to die. And Peter took him aside and said, Jesus, this is crazy talk. <laughs> That's crazy. You can't be saying stuff like that. There's no way that can happen. And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God. And yet here's Peter in 1 Peter saying it's God's will because Christ suffered for sins once. Second thing up there. Notice Jesus the righteous one was suffering in place of the unrighteous ones. It's a substitution. He steps in the place of those who are the unrighteous. That's me. It's like we're doing a tag team. And now it's time to face the punishment and the difficulty. 
And I say, here, Jesus, you take my place. And he does it. And he takes my suffering. And he takes yours. The righteous one for the unrighteous ones. Third, the purpose of Jesus' suffering was to bring you to God. And if you go back a slide, Lynn, my translation. Uh, Christ suffered once for sins in order that he might lead you to God. That's why he's doing it. He's going to the cross to lead you to God and to bring you to God. So why did Jesus die on the cross? Because I couldn't get to God. I couldn't get to him. And so Jesus, by going to the cross, is taking us and bringing us to where we couldn't get to on our own, and he brings us to God. Beautiful. And number four, Jesus saves by dying in the body but being made alive in the spirit. He was killed. He was put to death. His body was in the grave. But that's not the full story. The full story is he came up out of the grave with a spiritual body made alive in the spirit or made alive by the spirit. And so we have salvation. If you go to the next slide, Lynn. And this is the problem verse, a, a big problem verse. He's made alive in the spirit in which he went, he, and in the spirit, he also has gone to the spirits in prison he preached. Sorry, my translation is not very good. In which also having gone to the spirits in prison he preached. So in the spirit, he preaches to spirits in prison. What in the world does that mean? Um, by the way, if you know, that's really good. Nobody else knows. <laughs> in, fact, in fact, one person counted up the views on this passage, and he says there are 188 views. 188 different views of what it means. And I've got, I've got the three main ways, three, three main things it means. Number one, he preached in Noah. That was the view of Augustine, St. Augustine, 400. So it's been around a long time. The idea is, is that Jesus, when Noah was preaching, Jesus was with Noah and was helping Noah preach. And those people who heard Noah didn't believe, right? Seven of them believed. Seven got on the ark with Noah, eight of them all together. All the rest of them didn't believe when Jesus was preaching with Noah. So does it mean that? So, so in the spirit, he went and preached to these spirits, people, who are now in hell. Uh, that, uh, a lot of people like that view even today. Number two, the traditional view, let's say before the last hundred years, was that Jesus preached in hell. And uh, at, as Jesus hung on the cross and then he died, 
His body was in the grave. Where did his spirit go? And so the idea is the spirit goes into hell, and in his spirit he preaches to the people in hell, or the demons in hell, or to the Old Testament saints in hell, and uh, that's where the preaching takes place. By the way, that is found in the Apostolic Creed. He descended into hell. Uh, view number three, he preached in heaven. That's the modern view. And that would probably be the majority of interpreters today. Now, actually, I don't care which one of those you choose. <laughs> I like all three. Uh, I, in, the past, in the past, I held to, well, when I, was, when I was younger, I held to number two. And then as when I was a pastor for a number of years, I thought number one was correct. Today I would probably lean to number three. So if you, if you hold one of those views, you're in good company. I've been in all of them. Um, let, let, me, let me talk about uh, Noah's day for a second. Um, actually, go to the next slide, Lynn. The ones who formerly disobeyed when the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being built into which a few people, that is, eight souls, they were saved through water. Uh, that view number one that Jesus preached in Noah's day fits the context beautifully. It makes sense of the context. Now, whether it makes sense of all of the theology, I'm not sure. The idea was is that here's Noah in his day. And Noah in his day is building an ark, and as he builds the ark, he talks to people about God. And the, the world is full of wickedness. And so God is going to destroy all people. He's going to save everyone that gets on the ark. And Noah preaches, and even as they look at Noah, he preaches righteousness. And... Uh, as Noah's preaching, there's Jesus right there with him. Now, just as an aside, I was talking to Jason the other day. Jason, Jason knows everything, well, not everything, but he knows a lot about creationism and the flood. Yes. Uh, Jason loves that stuff. And I was talking to Jason about dinosaurs. And I said to Jason, maybe God didn't have any dinosaurs on the ark. That's what I said. I said, they're reptiles. Maybe they could make it on their own in a flood. And Jason goes, Pastor, he didn't take full-grown dinosaurs onto the ark. They would have been little baby dinosaurs, and it would have been easy to take care of them. I, ju I, just, read, I just read in the newspaper yesterday, um, science has always, always said that dinosaurs and mammals did not exist at the same time. And then they've just, they've just found a fossil, and they found a fossil where a dinosaur has stepped on a mammal. And so there's the mammal fossil, and there's the dinosaur fossil with the dinosaur having flattened the little, the little mammal. And so now they're going, okay, I, well, obviously mammals and dinosaurs have existed at the same time. Uh, it says something else about fossils. Fossils, fossils actually happen very quickly. And 
you probably were shown in your science class that a fossil takes a long time to t- happen. Almost all fossils occur because of a flood. So here's the dinosaur stepping on the mammal, and as he steps on the mammal, that's when he gets fossilized. It happens almost instantaneously. Strange. Uh, fossils are these little snapshots that occur very quickly. Otherwise, we would have no fossils. If you just let things to decay and take a long period of time, no fossils occur. Almost all fossils occur because of floods or a flood. Interesting. Okay, here's the point. The point of all of this is this. These are the days of Noah. These are the days of Noah. Know that song, These Are the Days of Elijah, declaring the word of God? You could change the song, These Are the Days of Noah. He's saying, what happened to Noah is just like today. God was patient with people's wickedness. How patient? He wanted to destroy the world, and then he waited 120 years. He waited 120 years while Noah built the ark. That's the patience of God. God is long-suffering. And here were all of these wicked individuals with just a few righteous individuals, and yet God was patient. That's the way it is today. Lots of wickedness, a little bit of righteousness, but God is long-suffering, and he's patient. These are the days of Noah, just like that day. If you go on to the next slide, because this is the point I want to get to. And uh, if you have more questions about what happened when he descended into hell or when he preached, You can talk to me later. Notice my translation. They were saved through water, which is an antitype for baptism that now saves you also. Not the taking off the filth of the body, but the pledge of a good conscience to God or an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The point? You need to be baptized. Now, I like to always ask the trick question. Does baptism save you? I said it was a trick question. Does baptism save you? Notice the text. It's an antitype for baptism that now saves you. Does baptism save you? Yes, it saves you. That's what he tells you. Baptism now saves you also. Um, When I was younger, what I used to do is I would come to the Bible, and whenever you came up with a difficult part, you'd try to explain it away. And then I decided, as I got a little older, there's a better way to handle it. Instead of trying to explain it away, try to explain how it's true. 
So instead of saying, okay, baptism doesn't save you because I know passages that tell me all I got to do is believe, maybe you should say, well, what does he mean baptism saves you? How is it baptism saves you? He clearly says that that's what happens. This is an antitype for baptism that now saves you also. So I would ask, we need to discover how does baptism save you? Okay, now, pay attention. Point number one. What does not save you? He tells you. Not the taking off the filth of the body. What doesn't save you is the water of the baptism. That's the water hitting your body. It's cleaning you. That doesn't save you. Not the removal of the filth from the body. It's not the rite of baptism. It's not the act of baptism that saves you. That's the external. That doesn't save you. I remember watching uh, a movie a long time ago. I forget the name of it. And it was when uh, the Jesuits first came to spread the gospel in Canada. And uh, they would come to tribes and uh, they would baptize everyone in the tribe even though they couldn't speak the language. And they would baptize them and make the sign of the cross on their forehead. And you've now been baptized. You're saved even though there was no communication that took place. That doesn't save you. The kind of baptism that does save you is he explains it. Not the taking off the filth of the body, but the pledge of a good conscience to God or an appeal to God for a good conscience. That is saving baptism. Uh, we see this in two New Testament texts. Acts 2.38. Pentecost. Peter preaches. And they say to Peter, they're convicted. They say to Peter, what should we do? Now, if somebody asked us that question, do you know what we would say? Pray the sinner's prayer. Isn't that what we would say? <laughs> Pray and ask Jesus to save you. I think that's what I would say. Hey, let's pray about it. That's not what Peter says. What does Peter say? Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Baptism is the coming to Christ in that case. That is the sinner's prayer. That is the appeal to God for a good conscience in Acts chapter 2. Or another text. This is from the Apostle Paul's life. The Apostle Paul is struck blind. And he goes to Damascus. And he's there with Ananias. And... Ananias heals him. And Paul says, what am I supposed to do? And here's what Ananias says. After you get up, be baptized and wash your sin away. 
calling on the name of Jesus. Now, there's the, there's the part we like, the praying. Calling on the name of Jesus. Ananias puts that together with the baptism. Point number four. You are a Christian, or you can be a Christian, without baptism. So we do not believe in baptismal regeneration. That means you are actually saved the moment you're baptized properly. That's baptismal regeneration. That's the Church of Christ. There's one in town on Arrow Road by the cemetery. Okay, Church of Christ believes that you become saved the moment you're baptized and you think that baptism's saving you. Then you're saved. They would question all of our salvation because we did not depend upon our baptism for our salvation. We don't believe in baptismal regeneration. You can be a believer here in Christ. You can be part of God's family without being baptized because you've got that part there. You've got the pledge of a good conscience to God or you have an appeal to God for a good conscience. You've got those real inner things going on. You just haven't done it the way he told you to do it. But you've got that inner stuff. Point number five. When you're not baptized, you have the appeal without the outward demonstration, you are missing out doing it God's way. Now, why, how are you missing out? What, what's missing? Here's what's missing if you're not baptized. Number one, it pictures the gospel to others. It pictures the gospel to others. Baptism pictures the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And it pictures the cleansing that you receive. And by the way, that's why immersion is so good. Because you're really sinful. And you need a lot of water. That's true. That's why, immersion was, that's why the immersion was the picture. So when you're, not, when you're not baptized, you miss picturing this gospel to others. Number two, God tells you to do it. He says, be baptized. Number three, Jesus and the apostles all intended it for a first step of obedience. This is the first step you take in following Christ. Number four, it is an outward sign to join the church. And of course, infant baptism does not count. Now this is just, this is just me speaking to Baptists. Infant baptism does not count. It's ridiculous. Ridiculous to think that this is an appeal for a good conscience or a pledge of a good conscience toward God. The little baby has no idea what's going on. It's just like the Jesuit baptizing natives in Canada without being able to speak the language. Ridiculous. Point number seven. Even if you have an appeal to God for salvation, it's not your appeal to God for salvation. It's not the appeal for a good conscience. That still doesn't have the power to save you. You can ask God to save you today, and there is nothing in your prayer that actually can save you. 
because we've got the last part of the verse. How do these things save you? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's where the power is. The power is actually not in the prayer. It's in Jesus and his resurrection. He dies on the cross for our sins. He's buried and he comes up out of the tomb and he's raised. And there's the power. Now we can be saved. And only because of that are we saved. And it's only because of the power in the death, burying, resurrection of Christ that we have sins washed away and we can be right with God. It's only because of those things. And so as we approach him with an appeal for a good conscience or or the pledge towards him of a good conscience, that in itself is not powerful to save us. We must have the resurrection and the cross of Jesus Christ. Those are the most important elements. So this morning, this morning I wanted to emphasize three things. Number one, Jesus suffered for doing good. He died on the cross for our sins. Number two, these are the days of Noah. We are just like Noah in that we're surrounded by a world of wickedness and a few righteous people are trying to do the right things. trying to come to God the right way. And finally, you need to be baptized. I I especially like this verse for baptism. When I was 30 and a preacher, and you wanted me to explain baptism to you, I would never show you this verse. (laughs) Because I thought, it's too weird. It doesn't make any sense. Now when people ask me, what is baptism, this is the first place I go. And I say to them, listen, you're being baptized, and if it's not a pledge for a good conscience or an appeal for a good conscience from God, it's not going to do anything. You're wasting your time. You're just getting wet. It's a bad bath. That's all it is. But if you're giving your life to Christ and you want to follow Jesus Christ, that's baptism. It's a confirmation of your salvation. And you know something? If this is the first steps you're taking, this baptism saves you. Let's look to the Lord in prayer.